afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining us uh, in the first post-Gary Lucy episode is uh, my co-host for today. You guys know him as the host of Never Not Funny and the executive producer of this show, Mr. Jimmy Pardo. Jimmy. Hello, Patty. I think executive producer is uh, overstating well, what I do. You give notes. I give, I give, I give one note a year, uh-huh. and I lend my name so you guys get some publicity. So we get That's some, we get some listeners. Yes. We thank you for it. My pleasure. Always happy to help. Uh, also, uh, Matt is here, but Matt is not on mic today, but he is here for a couple of the next transitional episodes. Uh, Matt's here, and the reason he's not on mic is because we have two... Very, very special guests in the uh, in the studio today. Uh, Jimmy and I are without a doubt uh, gigantic fans of you guys. Uh, oh. Of course, I'm speaking about the two surviving members of the Knack, I love that. Mr. Yeah. Prescott Niles and Mr. Burton Aver. Guys, how are you guys Hello. doing today? I'm doing fine. How are right, you doing, i got to check my pacemaker. Hold on. <laughs> no, by the way, for those of you not in the room, Matt doesn't have a mic, but he's a very accomplished mime. <laughs> so. No, actually, Matt represents the silent majority. <laughs> and let's do so everyone knows who's who. Uh, Prescott, you talk first, and they can, they'll know your voice. Okay. They know my voice. It's, right. it's very sexy and hot. No question about that. And the, uh, the, other, uh, the other sexy gentleman? I'm Burton. Uh, the way you tell us apart, he sounds like a bass guitarist, and I sound like a lead guitarist. Terrific. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Wait, does he sound lower? <laughs> and you sound uh, oh, I higher was, pitch? Is I, that was, the... I was sneaking in some information. Yeah, you, you play lead guitar, and he plays bass. We'll get to that, Burton, to relax. <laughs> this guy's a pro over on the other side. At least I don't play oboe. That's a whole other. Oh, what's a bad instrument? So now you guys, uh, use guys, use use guys. Hey, no, we're really excited. I've uh, every time I've seen you guys in concert, it's been with the gentleman across from me. Really, and uh, yes, and you saw them once before that. I what was the you, first time you saw them? I now? saw them, uh, you guys, at the Return of the Neck, nineteen eighty six, at the uh, at the Roxy. Oh, cool! And great that you guys came out. You play. You did your set. You then did an encore. I forget what that song was, and then. Uh, Doug turned around to you guys and said, should we do one more? And you go, we don't know anymore. <laughs> and you said it in such a way, and he goes, all right. And then he went, that's it for us. But I, but I was right up against the, because I had never seen you guys. I, you know, obviously uh, it was 86, so, you know, it was seven years after you guys were, you mm-hmm. know, the knack. Yeah. And so I was living out here. I was from, I'm from Chicago, and I was living out here. I was going to school in Pasadena, and I drove into Hollywood, which is a big deal at the time. I mean, it's not a big deal now. It was a half-hour drive, but it seemed like I was going to the city. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To see the knack, to see one of my favorite bands of all time. Here wow. they are reuniting. And people wanted to go with me. It's interesting. People wanted to, hey, I'll go with you. It's like, I don't want anybody just tagging along. This right. is a big deal for me. And I, I got there early, and I was up against that Roxy stage, being pressed mm-hmm. up against my thighs. And so I was able to literally hear you crystal clearly, we don't know anymore. <laughs> well, that that's probably... First of all, it was a benefit for Michelle Meyer, Aha. who is the promoter, who I think uh, was having cancer at the time. We only had a limited time to play. We're the type of band who could play for three hours on any... We could play... We could be a jukebox. Mm-hmm. We could play anybody's music, any style, right? Yeah. We'd often go off on jams. We could be Cream. We could be Hendrix. 
We could be credence. We could except be, we weren't cream and we weren't. <laughs> well, we could fake it pretty good, especially with Bruce. But I think it was more of a polite statement because we did have a timeline. Is that so? I didn't know that. All right. Now, we, I mean, Doug could have talked for the next two hours. Well, that is true. I, I'm glad you remembered that because my guess, because like you said, we could always break out covers. We mm-hmm. were playing covers and like old, you know, Buddy Holly songs and and uh, Mersey era songs. We were just Anything. we would always regale ourselves with that and <clears throat> rehearse. So I, I was thinking maybe I was just ready to get off. It could be that. You're done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Was, then, but at any rate, it was phenomenal. Thank you. And then the first time I saw you guys was with Jimmy. And it was literally, I was leafing through the LA Weekly. I think it was 96. Uh, you guys will probably know the date better than me. And I leafing through, and it says, The Knack at the Viper Room tonight. Oh, yeah. And I called Jimmy. I go, the, the Knack is at the Viper Room? He's like, oh, when? Tonight. Let's go. So we go down there. And literally, the Viper Room's about as big as the room we're in now. It's very tiny. Uh, it was all the original members. Bruce was with you that night. Mm-hmm. And uh, the line is around the Viper Room. And here come you guys one at a time. You guys are just, just walk right by with your, with, your, with your equipment. And right in the doors, you guys were, I remember Doug carrying a guitar case. And uh, that was the first time I saw you guys. And I had known you from the records, but since I had never seen you play, I was astounded at the level of musicianship that oh, I saw that you. night. Because I think a lot of times maybe people think of The Knack as, you know, a pop band or whatever, and that's fine. Uh, but, man, can you guys, every single one of you, play your instruments? I was so impressed with the bass and and, and Bruce's drumming and, and, of course, the guitar. It was just it was. Phenomenal. Vocal was average. The Can vocal was average. Musicianship was phenomenal. And uh, the stage patter left me <laughs> wanting more. Yes. No. Uh, but uh, it, it How was about just, the choreography? Uh, Fantastic. The choreography was nice. Phenomenal. You guys all had the wearing the black and white, and <clears throat> it was just so great. And Doug has this devilish grin and this smile the yeah. whole way through. As he's just looking at the audience, and he's basically saying, Yeah. This is it. You're seeing it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it was just like... Well, there was an electricity in that room. Unbelievable. Even more than when I saw it in 86, which yeah. was great. But that 96, there was... In the Viper Room, everybody just being in there and not being able to move. It was... It, it was um, didn't it, we... Uh, wasn't that two... We did two nights, didn't we? Because we were playing for Rhino Records at the time. I... I think this I was... bow to your better memory. I don't remember <laughs> that. But uh, I do remember when you're talking about yeah. it... Um, I think probably one of the things that lent to the attitude, uh, the the feeling yeah. that you were talking about, is we were always a club band. Yeah. That's you know when we first started before we got our record contract, we were playing you know every weekend, two or three nights a week at the Troubadour at the Starwood, and so for us to be playing a little club on Sunset, yeah. It it felt like home. Mm. So I, I'm guessing when you saw us walking in that front door, it's because it was just it was so natural to that's us. What you're, that's what you and do. We always did pride ourselves on playing well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was, you know, it's phenomenal. Uh, Bruce was unbelievable. <laughs> he really was. And uh, we just basically, one, one of the hallmarks of our band was the musicianship we brought to the stage brought to heel by the leadership of Doug. Yes. Because Doug had a very specific idea of what songs should be. Right. And, and that included contained sensible parts that, yeah. you know, that, that worked with one another. And that's, that's basically the best music. I yeah. mean, I'm a lead guitarist. All my idols are guitarists. Uh, most of them. Uh, I don't want to hear a five-minute solo. Well, but that's ah. true and not yeah. true. That's true and not true. 
But when one of the gripes you had originally later on was that the best solos were cut and you ended up doing only one or two long solos, meaning because you're a great player. Remember that this period? Oh, no, that was that. Uh, that's a little bit of a misinterpretation. There was one me. song we did. Um, you may remember this because we began that Roxy show with this. We did Tequila yeah. Break On Through, mm-hmm. where the first yeah. half of it is tequila, and that's my chance to do an extended solo. Right. And it's really, other than Sharona, it, towards the end of it, really through most of our career, it was the only extended solo I yeah. play on stage. Everything else was basically in the context of the song. Right. And at one point, uh, I was being told we were in Japan uh, doing the Fuji Festival. We flew to Japan for one show. And it was a great one. In this what was, year? This was about 2006. Okay. And then do you fly back the next day? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, but but to make it really palatable, we had a gig in Hawaii on the way home. Uh, all right. So then I just you well, know, gave myself day, a little vacation in Hawaii. Yeah, it was worth the trip. But I was told that, you know, oh, some, some <clears throat> of the fans are saying, you know, like tequila, they've heard it. And, you know, we, maybe we should come up with another song because that one's really long because we do tequila and I do an extended solo. Right. And, and Presco would take a solo in it and we do a breakdown and then come out of it with break on through. And I thought it really not so much because they were cutting the length of the solo, but because it worked so well, it, 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 when it kicked into tequila, uh, break on through. It was. It was really. It just went to 110. Yeah. And it was always a great, exciting moment. And that's the break set. on through by the Doors. It was a cover yeah. of the Doors track. Yeah. yeah. Because Tequila and Break on Through has roughly the same groove, and mm-hmm. so we thought that was funny and ironic. And we we did we did extensions. We're alluding to with Burton was the fact that the improvisational factor of, of yeah. the musicians yeah. that we can go off and play. I mean, Burton do bebop solos and Little Cal's Big Mistake, which you soloed on live, a little more of a solo really showed the musicianship and craft and mm-hmm. and yeah we had parts that we play because songs should have parts and there were variations within those parts if you listen to some of the early even in that live album you have some of the like the Sharona solo you played before you decided exactly where you know structurally where it would go mm-hmm. there was extended solos and the audience I think it also took the audience to another level because it showed them you know, we weren't just playing parts, even though we played them perfectly. Right. There was a real, uh, we had no limit musically except for the limits that were self-imposed on us. Well, there's a rawness, definitely, in those, yeah. especially in those early live ones you guys just released. I mean, those things are, you know, to a, yeah. you know, knack nuts, like, I've never used that phrase, uh, like Pat. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt, though. Now I'm a knack nut. knack nut. Hey, you get in a time machine and sell them. <laughs> and you know what? Since uh, since Prescott just brought it up, I'm not I'm not afraid to jump around here musically. Let's uh, hit us with a little of uh, Little Cow's Big Mistake. This is one of Jimmy's favorites. It is. Mm. Listen, to this is '81. Is that when this came out? Yep, 1981. Yeah. '81. Produced by Jack Douglas. I still remember the whole affair. Now, 
up that. I know. I know you like to go chronologically. Well, we're, 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 we're It's okay. Can I ask you a quick? Uh, it's your program. I don't want to step on toes. Of course, you can ask a quick a question. question about it. Now, it's it just, but coincidentally. Oh, don't ask that. I'm the biggest Chicago fan in the world. The uh-huh, band Chicago. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know, my little head exploded when I read the liner notes to Round Trip, and there's this horn section from Chicago playing on. Like I'm listening to that track, going. This is the knack. This is amazing. And reading it, and then there's Jimmy Panko and Lee Lockman yes. and Walter Perizzator playing horn and Marty Greb. Uh, nerd, let me nerd out for a minute. How does that happen? How why, do you, what, how is what's going through exactly. your mind? Exactly. <laughs> why, why, why are my two worlds colliding? When we were recording that album, uh, Chicago was recording at the same time there. Okay. And uh, Doug and I, that's actually, that's a really early Doug song. That, ah, that okay. predated the knack. And I wrote the the instrumental break in the middle, and we always thought of it as putting horns on it. Mm-hmm. And on round trip, we were deciding, oh, good, this is our freedom. We can start stretching out and doing different styles. And uh, those guys were there. Okay. And I actually, <laughs> I remember this. I wrote out, this is before I could really write sheet music that anybody could read at all. And I wrote out the parts and they were good enough to figure out what the hell I wrote. Right. <laughs> and uh, we did that. And uh, that's how they ended up. Okay. They were just, they were in the halls. And Jack was the kind of producer where he knew everybody. He goes, hey, you guys, you want to play on yeah. this? And they said, sure. Yeah, sure. That, all right. Well, how fortuitous then. That's fantastic. So yeah. let me, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Burn. Oh, and uh, another example of that is on Africa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a sax that, that um, tails my guitar solo at one point, kind of doing answers. And that mm-hmm. was Tom Scott. Ah, the great Tom Scott. You know what? Let's hear a little bit of Africa. Africa. Then, other, then I have a question yeah, for... Yeah, uh, well, then play the solo, for God's sake. For the love of God, play that <laughs> Preview to the Africa. This, a lot of this influence came from myself and Burden's love of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, that's ah, right. Okay. Very nice. We that's saw right. one of the greatest concerts ever together at the Forum. I, you know, I wasn't at that concert. You should have been. I hated, <laughs> I hated that you saw that concert, and I didn't. I know, because we loved him. I mean, it was yeah. our sanity on the road when we were in Japan. Prescott we turned me on to Earth, Wind, and Fire. And actually, the... The, the basis of Africa, which is uh, me playing a Fender Rhodes, mm-hmm. is it was suggested by Getaway, the Earth, Wind, and Fire song. Okay. All right. Well, let's drop a link. I, I, I don't that know. guitar solo, of course, is, is again, amazing. The uh, I, I 100% sound, agree. The, I hope we the get the drum, to the... The drums I, are incredible. I mean... Well, you'll have to start it in the middle if you want to get to the guitar solo. Yes. All right. You've got to hear the beginning drop, of that, though. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's hear the beginning right from the top, and then we'll find that guitar solo. This is Africa, also from Round Trip. That's now, what is this? Birds. It sounds like Burton Birds. Listen to that. This guy's a good drummer. Let's get some bass going. <laughs> Are you playing air keyboard, Jimmy? Doing it all. <laughs> keyboard, bass, whatever you need me to do. Listen to that groove. I mean, that is, you're right about uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. You hear it now. It's yeah. If you only know my Sharona, you got to hear this stuff. And that's Doug doing uh, Jim Morrison. Doing Morrison? He's doing Morrison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got to be. <laughs> and uh, here will come my Verdine. Okay, Matt, I'm going to give you the honor of trying to find that guitar solo. I'd say go in two minutes. Two minutes, From okay. There. It is such a great guitar back, back, solo. Back there you are. There That's it is. good. Oh. 
did you bring it down? Kathy. That's the longest you've ever played a song. I know. I know. We have uh, we have another relationship uh, in the liner notes of uh, Round Trip. Uh, friend of the show, uh, Mark Volman. Oh yeah, Mark Volman oh, sings yes. sings on. Uh, I think, How bizarre is that? We have it's a, very strange. On, like sings on uh, "Pay the Devil." Pay the Devil. Yeah. Yeah. Background vocals. Here's what's interesting about that is is I you know Pat said to me you know send me a list of songs that you want to you know drop in from time to time in this interview and the two we played were on your list. Were, they were the two. I was like, you got to play Little Cal, you got to play Africa, right? And organically they came up here. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. That's fascinating to me. Uh, and I'm synchronistic, right? <laughs> right. right. Really quick. Uh, sure. I that album. Uh, apart from Get the Knack, uh, which is, has its own charm, its brilliance, its production, this album, uh, I, I play for people. Mm-hmm. And I don't say who it is. Only, select songs, but especially those two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody knows who the fuck it is. I play the solo sections. They mm-hmm. may say, well, maybe kind of Steely Dan is kind of this, kind of that. And when I tell them, they go, what? When did you do this? Nobody has any mm-hmm. clue right. the musicianship and the potential yeah. to expand to that level and not and to be taken seriously. And was that play. you guys or Jack Douglas? Uh, his no, that inspiration? was us. That was definitely you. I mean, no, Jack, Jack brought sound, a lot. That Jack brought a lot to okay. the table. Yeah. But in terms of we the songs, that. again, like Prescott's alluding to, when we first did Get the Knack and But the Little Girls Understand, there was a very specific but kind of band we were being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, we had these different influences that we're ready to be drawn from. Perfect example, Little Cow's Big Mistake was a song, you know, we had that, that Doug had written before we ever did you know, before there was a knack when uh-huh. Doug and I were just songwriters together. Yeah. You know, Pay the Devil was was an early song of mine. Um a lot of the songs on that album, Art War, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which I love, right? Because it's so goofy. Uh, that that was uh, wait, we did no, that, that was right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah we, we did that because it's on your it's on the the four track EP, isn't it? Isn't Art War? Yes. On yeah, it is. From before, right? Get yeah. the knackers released. Right. Let me ask a Prescott uh, yeah. a question specifically about working with Jack Douglas. Was this album made? Was this was it was made after Double Fantasy? Yes. Yeah. Was was Len, had Lennon was Lennon still with us at that time or had he already No, no, he had passed. Jack had two nervous breakdowns. I was going to ask what what us. yeah, what was what was Jack's state while well, you guys were was, working with him? It was called The Snows of Kilimanjaro. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess to deal with his depression, you know, he had to invest in Peruvian colonies, so to speak. <laughs> and we paid for it out of our record budget. I remember one of the discussions we had was not the band budget for that, but for Jack's budget mm. and and Lee the engineer uh, he was also flying back to New York at the same time between mm-hmm. sessions. Luckily, we worked very quickly. He was working with that... Um, uh, the Graham Parker. Yeah, Graham Parker. Okay. And plus dealing with a lawsuit with Yoko at the time. Oh, jeez. So when Jack was with us, I mean, he would take... You know, Bruce had tuned his drums brilliantly, but he let Jack... For each song, Jack had an idea sonically, mm-hmm. and he'd kind of tune them. Uh, that drum sound, I mean, arguably to this day, is is incredible. As he did with the guitar, etc. He really knew how to get it, and, mm-hmm. and it was well produced in every way. He didn't influence very much of the parts as much as he did the overall sound, I believe, mm-hmm. and and how to get mm-hmm. the sounds. He was kind of like George Martin, if we can make a Beatles analogy for that one moment. <laughs> and it, it, I thought it was the best effort we've done we really kind of did excellent good to hear because i was wondering if he was uh state of mind really present for you or if he was he was he was into it he called us one of the best musical bands he ever worked with that's a a nice compliment he wasn't physically present a whole lot right i mean it's like it's like prescott said is um 
at one point, we were recording out here. Yeah. And he said, I have to go back to New York. What? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought we were working together. And, right. uh, yeah, it's because he was on contractual obligation to start Graham Parker's album okay. by such and such a time. And Doug and I actually had to fly out to New York to finish up. Wow. The record, as a matter of fact, yes. you mentioned uh, Mark Volman. Howie and Mark did the vocals on Pay the Devil in New York. Didn't oh, they okay, do Radio cool. Love, too? Hmm? Didn't they do Radio Love? Did they do Radio Love? Yeah, they were probably on that, too. I can't on, remember. And Bill Hutz, uh, one of the Hutz, Mark ah, Hutz, yeah. now, Just to build this up, Prescott said, if I may, Pat, very quickly. Sure, jump in. Uh, you know, Get the Knack, uh, and we'll, get, we'll eventually talk about that, was, it was an album that changed my life. I know that sounds like hyperbole, but it did. Wow. But then to hear, and I don't throw this word around, but I said this before these guys came in here. Right. It's just, you know, round trip's a masterpiece. I mean, it's like, well. for people that don't, like you said, that think the knack is this one-hit wonder bubblegum nonsense. Yeah. Right. Listen to this. Right. Because this album, I've got a question. Do you guys think if this album would have come out second? Well. Do you, what do you think? Well. Uh oh, Prescott, you're you're warming them up because I, I, I'm very curious because because the, it almost sounds and I, I mean no disrespect when I say this, but the little girls understand sounds like oh here's the songs that didn't make get the neck. I love it, but it sounds like that. But yeah. this sounds like here's the there, here we go. Yeah, this uh, is the neck. And remember, these albums came out 79, 80, 81. Yeah, I mean, well, boom, boom, boom. There was a philosophy, unfortunately, at hand, and there's a lot of stories that have changed over the years that get the knack was supposed to be a double album. Are you going to dish some dirt right now? Oh, it's bad dirt. Okay, go ahead. It's go. like off the coffin. Go. I just touched you. Go. Ahead. Uh, and me and Bird would chuckle about it at different times in our careers. Um, Doug, Doug would tell it that. But the little girls understand should have really been a double knack first album, which me and Burton found out. That was news to us. (laughs) 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 So all of a sudden you're reading some information that was never true. We would do interviews and we kick each other on the table, going, "Huh?" Yeah. Or the origin of Sharona. That's another. That brings me to my next. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. No, no, no. Uh, You can't can't say that's another story if it's not. It is another story. But anyway, so the the deal was Doug's philosophy: we're going to go from black and white to pink to color. Ah, okay. All right. I guess if you want to think in those terms. And there's some pink on the uh, on the Little Girls oh, yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's pink. the second album. Lots yeah. of pink. Right. But yeah. my, my thing is, but the Little Girls didn't understand. <laughs> and, and that's why it did what it did. But it, let's um, be fair. It, it sold I can't two and be, a half million. I can't, no, great. no, I can't be fair. Because, <laughs> I, I, because it was a rush job. Michael Chapman was having a nervous breakdown. You work with a lot of producers <laughs> that are having nervous breakdowns. Well, Mike's life. Do you think that there's a connection there? <laughs> Well, I didn't. I mean, Mike. He, but he should have taken time off. Yeah. Because he was going through a mm-hmm. divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't. And and I think Doug superseded the role of producer, or rather, took over as producer mm-hmm. to some degree. It was a little bit of strangeness in the studio. And when I a b the quality of Get the Knack, yeah. the vocal sound, the drum sound, the mix, and compare them. I mean, I'm just going. You got to be kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, even though there's some quality in. The, but the little girls and the third actually round trip comparatively what happened with the little, the little girls understand should have been the follow up we hit, we had three more singles we could have released from mm-hmm. get them yes yeah. and sustain that and not going in the studio and re-recorded it I mean yeah. recorded another album correct yeah. yeah and when when you said earlier uh, but the little girls understand sounded like the songs that didn't make get the knack you know, I, I understand why you're saying that. It wasn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of new songs written for But the Little Girls Understand. But it was this, oh, good, now we have 12 songs, let's record the next album. And as I understand it, some other wiser souls say, let's keep writing. 
<laughs> you know, right. let's, no write, let's write 25 or 30, yeah. and maybe, maybe we'll have a better 12 out of those. Right. Yeah. You know, but, but there were songs on, but the little girls understand that were, again, around earlier. Okay. Um, uh, Can't Put a Price on Love, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the better songs. Great it's song. a great song. Uh, Mr. Handelman. Song of the century. Mr. Handelman. Mr. Which, Handelman. Which I, which I always liked a lot, because, uh, again, it's totally goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that song predated the knack. Okay. That's one of the first songs Doug and I wrote together. Ah. Uh, but I can understand you're saying that because the philosophy that Prescott referred to was... They know us as the knack from Get the Knack, let's, and it's, ve- it's a very distinctive personality they see us as. Let's not confuse them. Let's give them more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think and re- I think absolutely whichever one of you made the point, I totally agree. Uh-huh. If Round Trip was the second album, it would have been better. Yeah, yeah that, because, that was me. I'm on full credit. Because uh, – I had it written down. I just didn't get to say it. <laughs> <laughs> sure you did. But, but a year later. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. – because you guys probably needed a little time to we had decompress we a little bit. We still had singles. Yeah. See, we did not have. I, I can't. It, this is such an understated statement that our management was, you know, weak. Wait, there's bad management in rock and roll. No, no, it's not. It's not what you'd normally perceive as bad management. <laughs> On the other hand, Scott never stole from us, and I understand he a lot overs- of managers but he do overspent. that. And that's, an, that's oh, yeah. like stealing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You this know. guy had a phone bank. This is before yeah, cell phones. Right. Okay. <laughs> and he had a, an office at Crossroads of the World. <laughs> and he had like eight, nine phones. As a matter of fact, I mentioned cell phones. Who's well, he talking to? Anyone. <laughs> anyone who would call. Anyone. Except for the people everybody. that were offering us business. Them right. he wouldn't get back to. Right. Uh when we were on tour in 1979 on the tour bus, he had this prehistoric mobile telephone, it like and it was dumbbell. this big honking thing, <laughs> and there was no network. And what we would hear all day long, we'd be driving. Remember this? Yeah, we'd be driving yeah. from Midwest City to Midwest City, and we'd hear this mobile operator. <laughs> Mobile operator. <laughs> it was like he's waiting for some signal. To right. No, but the biggest, biggest problem was everybody underestimated the success of Sharona. And yeah. anybody with any fucking brains, there's the F word. I had to. It fits. Well, say it. Fuck. Would, would back off and go. Let's evaluate this. Mm-hmm. You can't underestimate a hit of that magnitude and just put out another album, which right. is Doug's philosophy. Mm-hmm. Oh, everybody just puts out second albums, realizing the the importance of what is going to be on the second album. It's going to be compared to Sharona, of yes. course. Yeah. So why the hell do you treat it lightly? And Capital, I think, we're bullied into. Russia second album. Yes, yeah. especially the album cover, which is another discussion of waste and bullshit. And the in, the inside of the album should have been the album cover. Yeah, with us looking at in the limousine. Limo. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a real. It was a moment. You know, even though it's you know the girls, whatever. It was. It was, it was it, it, yeah. It, but our our emotions weren't. And I really felt that should have been the cover, not what what was the cover. And that was something else we'll discuss later. That that's Sharona on the cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah and okay. I'll tell you the origin of that photo. But but um, you know, I'm looking back because I, I mean I, I do a lot of interviews. I, I you know I play you know I play out a lot, and people invariably ask me a lot of questions about these things. So I do think about it, and I yeah. have journals too that I would keep about moments, key moments, or you know bad moments or good moments. And it always came up with the fact that that it was just the fact that nobody really thought through 
the effect of putting out an album that didn't have a so-called bona fide hit or what would be the second hit? Mm-hmm. What, 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 after Baby Talks Dirty, what did they pick as a follow-up single? There's my trivia question for That's you. That's a great... Show me the track listing because my brain is frying. What, what do you got, Pat? List it through and I'll try to guess uh, it. Right? What was it Don't sa- say it! Don't say it! No, is that, what did they pick as the second single? I'm, I can't After remember. Baby Talks Dirty I hit No Way remember. Land. You're looking at the line. I'm I know. Looking, I'm looking it up. I'm trying to find remember? it. Remember? No, I guess I you don't. don't. Tell me. I mean, was, it wasn't the ballad, was it? It was, yes. Oh, it was really? Can't Put a Price on Love. Oh, no, Can't Put a Price on Love. There's yeah, a 45 of it. That's a good song. That's no, what, that was no. actually my guess. Yeah, but, that would have been mine, too. But, but, but it was the wrong one to go with because we didn't need a ballad. Not in, eight, not in, not in 80. No. Not in 79, no, 80. we were in a ballad band. Also, it was the most under... It, the, one of the greatest... Really were, underproduced. One of the yeah. memories <laughs> myself and Burden had is when Doug came back from England after mixing it with with uh, whatever the engineer had. His wife was expecting a baby or something, and they had to go to England. I, were we sitting in Doug's Bentley, or were we just listening somewhere else? Yeah, and I, going, I've never sat in a Bentley. They're telling a story and, about sitting in a Bentley. Well, it was Doug's Bentley. It wasn't ours. <laughs> and um, Burden was going... Um, Where's the guitar solo? Go well. You're not supposed to really hear it, but it's there, right? Was that a paraphrase? I love those of it? kind of explanations, don't yeah. you? And, and I look at Brendan. Yeah. Well, but a guitar solo is supposed to be a guitar solo. Well, you know what actually pissed me off about it is that yeah, it's like it's a section where it's like it's a little four for nothing. Nothing's right, going right, on, right. and you kind of hear this little guitar. And I was just doing like fills. Yeah, it was like a Stevie Cropper kind of song, right? And I remember catching up with Mike Chapman later, and I said, what, what's the deal with the guitar solo? Just, there's nothing there. And he goes, well, it wasn't very good. Oh, hey, oh well, thank you, Mike. <laughs> the thing that really yeah. pissed me off about that is we would work so fast in the studio yeah, right. that if I played something that they didn't think was any good, they would have just said, play another one. Right. It would take another 15 minutes. It's mm-hmm. like they, they fly, to, New York, they fly yeah. to London to mix something that, it, yeah, it but, was... But uh, the mix... In other words, they did an edited version later on. I, I correct, I think for the 45, because it was too long and they didn't need it. If that was able to be produced, I mean, Burden could be Keith Richards if he wanted. All those multiple cool uh, hammer-on guitar lines and stuff. He could have done it. The thing could have been produced. It could have been anything. It was just left as, and I have no idea why. It was just left. Yeah. And it's a lot of those songs were underproduced. Well, mm-hmm. I think I think you made a great point. I never really thought of is underestimating the impact and on on everybody's frame of mind right. of a song as big as Sharona was. Yeah. Because at that point, you really have to think, what should we come up with next? Yeah. Instead of just slamming something out and to a certain extent, more of the same. Mm-hmm. You know. And by the uh, way, I, did, I wasn't saying that as a negative. I just no, I understand. I, that was to illustrate how great I think round trip. I, is. I think as fans, I think the general consensus sometimes is what he said about. But the little girls understand. We like it. It's just not get the knack, and it's certainly not round trip. Right. But you couldn't even. But the thing is, you couldn't put that question in the listener's head. The no. listeners were critics hated us. So the listener were the only, and fans were the only allies we had. Right. You can't let them down. Yeah. And I thought Let's, we uh, did. Before, uh, I, we, we've been talking about Get the Knack a lot, and when you pull out the album, you put it on side one, you drop the needle. Here it comes. This is what you hear. But the production, it's hot. We're going to hear it. it.
I mean, that is one of the greatest album openers. But if I, uh, if, if I can, I, no. I remember it was the summer of '79. I was between seventh and eighth grade. That's how old I was at the time. And Sharona was all over the radio. Sure. And the older kids in my neighborhood were already like, that, that, that song's it's overplayed. And my stepfather, who was only at the time 39 years old, mm-hmm. brought home the album. And it was like, all right, I'll play it, Ron. I'll play it to make you know. <laughs> I'll listen to your knack album. We'll, we'll bond with my stepdad, right? And then that hits me, and that's what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. Changed my life. Th- this is, and I, by the way, I was on a TV show called The List once uh, uh-huh. on VH1, and I was on their panel talking about, and the topic was best pop album of all time, and I said, get the knack. Right. Thank you. Everybody looked at me like I was nuts yeah. because they were all saying the Doors and Zeppelin but, and other things, which to me wasn't a pop the album. People that say that. They haven't heard the album. They don't know it. They haven't heard it. But I said, I, I, went, I went to, I didn't go to bat, but I was like, this album, it's what a pop album, it's, it's when you use the word pop, this is it. This is for three to four minute yep. songs that just punch you in the fucking face. And you and so this thing, I, yep. I, I overplayed this. I brought it to every school dance. You know, they yeah, all wanted yeah. to play, which I love, Journey and, you know, Lights and uh, City of the Angels. That would play. I didn't know go, you were going to sing today. If I this. knew that, I would have. Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll clear that with. Uh, let's hear. Let's jump to uh, frustrated. Oh, that should have been a single. Yes. yes. Well, I mean, there's that should have been. I mean, yeah. it's all should. The whole, like you said, Prescott. There were three, three, three more singles. Yeah, I'll that. give you an amendment to that story. After do you want to play anyway? Yeah. Go ahead. Frustrated. As a kid, before I really was like uh, knew too much about sex, I knew. Hey, I think this guy's singing about uh, some some naughty stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimmy was talking about three to four minute pop songs. Uh, My Sharon is actually four minutes and fifty four seconds. Yeah, was there any yeah. talk at oh, the label they to did, shorten they cut that? It. They, this, they made an edit. Yeah, the, the single, the single on Top 40 was, was the, of course, the solo. The solo's gone, right? Was yeah. Cut. yeah, yeah. They did a really good job. We did a really good job with the edit, though. I was I, I, I was totally in favor of that. I got it. Yeah. You know? But then, yeah, but it, but it's also BS because, you know, <laughs> what started with Like a Rolling Stone or whatever, there were songs that did exceed the limit. If some ballads would go on forever later yeah. on. Uh, I, I think they did that whatever reason it was. You know, then here goes another situation. It's hard too when when they edit it and it and it becomes what it is. It's like, well, I guess it worked. It's hard to say. You well, know. some stations, yeah. FM stations, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. version. Mm-hmm. I think you heard the full version more than the. Uh, the I editable. think you did too. But that, that again, the problem was the album uh, came out without a single. Believe it or not, Capital and their wisdom did not pick a single. 
And so how did they stumble into this one? Yeah. Well, because they put it on radio. We were in Europe at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, immediately the uh, the response, listener response, went through the roof the, for the Sharona. Programmers. Yeah. How, how did you not know that that would be the obvious pick? You know, with the, one of the greatest hooks yeah. in rock history. So they yeah. had a Capitol Records doesn't know it. So well, they had to do a rush release of Sharona after the album was already you know gone up to charts, mm-hmm. and I believe that's it. so they actually heard the long version first. You're right. It was no edited version, correct? They, yeah, that's right. They, they they had a rationale that it's they they weren't as dumb as it sounds. <laughs> well, <I'm laughs> it's basically they said, look, Sharon is the song, and and Sharon from the first time when we wrote that song and brought it in the first time we ever performed it at the Troubadour, uh-huh. uh, we do okay. Everybody in the room knew that's the song. Yeah, that's that's it, and and Capitol knew it too. Yeah, but at the time they said. There's not hard rock on top forty radio, hmm. and we kind of, being kids of the sixties, yeah. we went her, <laughs> uh, but at that time, for a very brief moment in our careers, we didn't want to make waves, right? And so, well, you you know, whatever you guys you'd know best, right? Yeah. But what happened? What we were told later on by our promo guys is they would go into the FM stations and say, "This is this new band," and the guy would put the needle on Sharona. And like 10 seconds later, says this is going on. It was just, it basically, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. The, I, I was doing this interview with a guy uh, on a Cleveland FM station once. And he said that the first time he played it, like, again, 20, 30 seconds into the song, his phone boards lit up like a Christmas wow. tree. And he said the only other song that ever happened to like that was More Than a Feeling. Oh, that makes sense. That makes Which sense. Another good song. Another good song. And the the cover of that Get the Knack. Okay. The cover of Get the Knack. Yeah. Which we both have signed and hanging in Framed our offices. And signed on our offices. <laughs> like nerds. Oh, wow. But um, uh, we have a story about the signing of that in one second. Uh, it's just such a. You see that cover and you're like, what? What is this? This is. It well, makes you feel good. It Robert makes you Hilburn, feel something. Robert Hilburn said, "Saw Meet the Beatles." That's the only thing he saw. Hilbert well. tried to kill us. He tried. <laughs> I'm telling you, he tried yeah. to take a knife to our throat. Mm-hmm. I'm not making this up. When Get the Knack came out, yeah. this is how we reviewed it. Front page of the of the entertainment section. Together. He's got a now, this is a stupid yes. rock critic, is what we were talking well, about. He was the he was, local rock critic right. in LA. Yeah. Not quite to the heights of, of legendary status, which yeah. they get. Right. Well, okay. Now he I'm not making any of this up or exaggerating. We believe you. He puts a picture of Meet the Beatles and a picture of Get the Knack yep. right next to each other. Like, these guys are trying to be this. So, right away, you hate us, right? Right away. Who the fuck do these yeah. guys think they Instead are? Instead of Meet right? the, it's Get the, like, yeah. everything. Right. Because back In then, the there, was first, nothing, there was nothing like an homage. And even though, it, if it was or if it wasn't, no one thought like that back then. The they picture on like, the back cover was an homage. Yes. It was a tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Was more Can you believe homage. how stupid a young band would be to try to be the Beatles? Yes. That's right. exactly what that picture was But it wasn't was capital. It was all, keep going. So, anyway. In the first paragraph, he describes our music as for a 13-year-old's taste. So any 18-year-old kid who's never heard us is hating us, really hating us by now. At which point you turn off of the front page to this page six where he starts describing the songs. Well, this song's pretty great. Well, this song's great. Good girls don't. That could be. You could have maybe said that the part. But he made sure he got in all the stuff that would kill us. Yeah. That's basically how the the, the problem is. To us. Uh, the hierarchy of the knack would give the enemy the bullets to shoot oh, at yeah. us all mm. the time. Doug's love of the Beatles, which we all shared, 
going to Capitol Records, having the logo, right? Blah blah blah, uh, and the back cover being what it was, the front cover, which consciously or subconsciously being the the cover. Yes, there would be ill influences, but again, you hear it, the drumming. The, That's not the, Beatles. The rhythmic, <laughs> right? Except for, no. except maybe tonight, of course, which which is okay to have one song, but it was so unbeatle esque everything about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, and that's the uh, so we gave everybody the illusion we were trying to be the Beatles, but we but the music were not the Beatles. So all. we kind of gave all the critics the reason to not like yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in reality, if they really looked at it objectively, which I guess we didn't yeah. at the time because of what the, the clues we put out there, then maybe it would have been more accepted. But but the fact that they reduced us to 13-year-olds yeah. was just a way to put it down because, again, yeah, the thing about Sharona is, the great thing about it, because I've heard other my kids play it. It's a long story. We'll get to that later. When you hear it, it sounds fresh. It's just rock and roll. You can't date the song because it just sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Absolutely. And Let's that's hear the it. beauty of the song. Let's hear it. Drop us in. That's enough. We all get it. It's my Sharona. I know. Which has, safe to say, top five guitar solos of all time. Thank I say you. This, right? I yep. say this without the gentleman in the room. You hear me. And the, and the rhythm section on this thing. When yeah. you're gonna give me some time, Sharona, will you make my motor now jump to two minutes and 44 seconds. What are we going to hear there? What are we going to hear? I don't know. He's got it committed to memory. I know. Burden pontificating. <laughs> So all this Beatles stuff comes out, and then you get uh, you get uh, Sharona, which is number one for six weeks, and then it's the fastest scored debut single since the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So there's more. I want to hold your hand. So now there's more comparison. And I'm uh, curious. Though, you, you alluded to this earlier, Prescott, uh, about Sharona. That maybe the story, the backstory, isn't as true as uh, that we read. Is that uh, it's not about. The real estate lady? It is? It is about the real estate lady. It is, okay. Oh, that part is true. All right. What's it, it's unbelievable. You know, to this day, uh, to this day, I was I, I did a gig with somebody. I was back east, right? And I get a cab, and the guy goes, you know, whatever. And we knew the knack. So he says, so uh, what's the song about? 
I go, what do you mm-hmm. mean? What's Sharona about? What's a Sharona? What's a Sharona? And I'm What's going, a Sharona? Well, <laughs> I didn't want to tell you this, guys, but it's this kind of thing that girls use like to get off. It's kind of <laughs> like a kind of vibrates. And he goes, oh. The wise a guy singing the song. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, I, I can make up any stupid reason. A lot. Of, it, it's so obvious. Maybe because Sharon is a very popular name in Israel. It's Sharon. Yeah. And, but still, I think even the, the song, adding to the legend, of the song, the, the misinterpretation of the lyric or the not knowing what the lyric meant, gave it another quality, mm-hmm. which is kind of like Louis Louis. Yeah. Yeah. We it, all assumed those cool. were dirty lyrics. Because, we all knew what it was and, about. And they weren't. One of the greatest things, and I can't find it in YouTube, is when Steve Allen, remember? Yes. I can't find it. Read the lyric like he did oh, with did the Steve Allen, yeah. he revived in the 50s. Steve Allen did this thing where he recited the lyrics to get a job. Okay. And Bebop like, it too, right? Like, mum, 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 dip, 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 <laughs> get a job. Uh, and and one of my proudest moments is he was on something like Music Scene, one of those shows, and he did it. He rec- he reprised that bit for Sharon. For Sharon, oh, that's excellent. Ooh, my little pretty one. <laughs> actually, the the difference between the story of how the song was written and the, the way the story is actually written Aye. is is not the difference is actually fairly slight. Uh-huh. Is the way the song was written is I came up with the riff. Mm-hmm. And I brought. I it have the rehearsal tape where um, I, I, I came in rehearsal. to the rehearsal and I, I started playing this riff, uh-huh. and which Doug was says, different. Oh, that's cool, and and I mentioned to to Bruce that I I didn't imagine it like regular like hi hat snare. It was more like a like a tom tom kind of thing, mm-hmm. like a jungle beat. Yeah, and we just jammed on it, and Doug was like scatting it over, and he says, "That's great. Let's go home uh-huh. and write it." And we went back tape. to his apartment and wrote it. Okay. Uh, and over the years, Doug just got messed up on the chronology, and he said really? that he had, <laughs> he he remembered he aye, remembered aye. having my having had that riff for what he said a couple years before we ended up writing it. And I know that's just virtually impossible because I know the song that inspired me to write the riff. Right. So it you know which is do you mind sharing that? What was uh, the song? Pump it up. Of course, pump it up. The the it's just the energy of pump it up, and the breakdown. Yeah, uh-huh. pump it up by Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was Excellent. like I, it was that sing album. To him, sing to him the real riff that you had. Hmm? It was sing the variation of the riff you had originally. It was different. Oh yeah, when you brought some extra notes. Yeah, it was different. Oh. Dum, da, we always da, play da, too much. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's the thing. League no, guitars. No, we always no. play too much. No, let, let's notes, Mr. <laughs> and, and I was doing this funk thing to it. Oh, I, yeah. I, I well, of course you tape. were. Of course. I was of black. Of course you right? were. But so, I, I wish um, I had the, You can see it. And Doug's scatting it. And he had the middle section, too. A little bit of the da-dum, ba-dum. A little bit of that. So... We were doing an interview in Washington uh, for this TV show, and I'm sitting next to Burton. And Doug is going, well, you know, Burton had this riff, and, well, I kind of thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was the right time yeah, to do it. Yeah, didn't think it was the right time. And, and one day, we were sitting there, I, I had this thing, and I started to play it on my legs, and, and I'm, I kicked Burton, and we like looked at him, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> and I had another origin story of, 
Well, when it was the right time, I figured we should do it. And I had this this beat that I told. It was just right. like, oh, God. Right. So it's that, it's that friend you have where you're like, we love him, and he's amazing, but here he goes again. That type <laughs> well, of thing. Well, it was okay at that point. But, <laughs> and then Bruce had his own story about it. Sure. And, and again, the beginning sounds like a little bit of like going to a go-go, right? The drum beat. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've played that song with many drummers, many people attempting to play mm-hmm. it. But the only people that can play it well are my kids. That's a later story. I don't want to interrupt the flow here. Mm-hmm. I just did it at the Rock and Roll Autograph Show. Mm-hmm. Most people say they can play it. They can't play mm-hmm. it. They can't do the drum part right. They don't flam right. They don't feel right. The guitar solo, I kind of know it. No, you can't kind of know it. <laughs> right. You either play the notes or you don't. The arrangement is quirky. So every time people think they know the arrangement, they always... And I've done this with the classic rock all-stars and other people to play with. They always fucking blow it. I don't even want to play it anymore. But the thing about that song is it was one take. Bruce... I, mean, I, re, I you know I re, re-listen to these things obviously because I'm bored. I drive mm-hmm. a lot. Um, the drumming, it, it's like the, whatever Bruce created at the beginning, and every time we go back to the riff, you know you can recut a song ten times. Like a lot of groups will never do one takes. They you know technically they didn't do it or the feel. It's amazing about that song is every time it goes back to it, it's the same. It's the same. I had to do with sexuality. It's got the same feel to uh-huh. it. And you can't you can't teach that you can't even produce it on a drum machine. It's got even when we when Bruce would speed up usually in choruses or things from sure. extra dynamics, but when he brought it back in like on Selfish too, the drum beat is incredible and that groove. So that was one take, and I, wow. and, and you know Mike would go, uh, okay now nah, great come on in got it and he he loved it. I mean Blondie would take a month to get Heart of Glass. Um, that that was actually the only when we recorded that album. That was the only solo that I did that I, re- I think. Did a couple of it passes was, on it. Was, uh, well, actually, it was one pass, and I stopped yeah, yeah, at, yeah. towards the end. Right. I said, oh, I screwed up. They said, no, you didn't. Mm-hmm. I said, well, then keep it rolling. <laughs> uh, no, everything else on Get the Knack, mm-hmm. uh, we just played live. Well, we played everything live when we recorded it, in, uh, like we were playing in the Troubadour, right. which is what Chapman said. He says, my idea of recording you guys is just to bring you in and have you play like you're in a club we'll just start the tape yeah and uh, like the solos like the solo in Let Me Out all those where mm-hmm. I was just playing like live you can hear my guitar actually drops out to play the solo mm-hmm. and uh, Mike again it's like what Prescott was saying is they're probably used to people who weren't as well rehearsed right not to cast spurs on any other particular bands but we really or were well chops. rehearsed and uh, actually, I'll never forget when we did um, Let Me Out, and he wanted me to double the guitar solo, because you double sometimes just for tone. Basically, it gives it a thicker tone, yeah. right? And I knew that he didn't know that I had that solo to memory. It mm-hmm. wasn't just riffing. Right. And there's a pretty quick riff in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and I just nailed it first time. And I walked in. And he's just poker face, and I just said, I, I allowed myself my one moment of pride. I said, I'll bet you didn't think I was going to get in and one, did you? And the Aussie that he was, he goes, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, this is Mike Chapman, who also produced Blondie and Sweet mm-hmm. and countless uh, Lita Ford, countless, countless, countless Goldie, people. Uh, Susie Quattro, yep, Chris Susie Norman. Quattro, yep. And Blondie was recording down the hall their first album when we were in Whitney Studios doing ours. Of course, we were in there in two weeks and out. They were still working on a heart of glass uh. for a month because they had a lay of the drum track, etc. Uh, Mike Chapman, you know, in one of the, my journal quotes, Mike, when he came in, said, um, 
uh, number one, Sharana, number one. Un- just That's it. And I remember writing, okay, Mike, I believe you. <laughs> You're right. And, of course, he was right. Mm-hmm. He damn well knew it. First time he heard it, he said, number one. If you listen to that live album, the drum part changes when you really listen to it. It doesn't play the groove throughout. It goes to a hi-hat pattern. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It goes all over the place. Huh. It doesn't play it because that was really early. See, I don't listen to our old stuff. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I, that's what I need him for. What's, it, great, what's great about this is I, I kind of thought they're probably sick of talking about Sharona, so we'll get it out of the way. And I love that you guys are really, really passionate about the recording and the process and everything that's involved in not just that song, but all these songs. Well, you know, it's... Because you when know you, you have when you have a song that has that kind of impact, yeah, and it actually comes back to a later generation mm-hmm. and reality bites, Bites. and then a later generation they keep using it in commercials and movies, mm-hmm. and people still refer to it and right. know it and want to hear it. It's it's an honor, yeah, and so it's not something to shrug off. You know, it's no. like I make a sports analogy. Uh, Jamal Wilkes was a he was a UCLA base basketball player and then he as a rookie he was on the Golden State Warriors and his team won the championship when he was a rookie and he happened to have got some more championships down the way with the Lakers yeah. but let's say for the sake of argument that was the only championship he ever won He'd would anyone ever come right. up to him and say you only got one no no one would we got the ring and, and, and every band would want to would want to have a Sharona. A Sharona. Well, if, or, if you really know what the, what Sharona was in terms of musicality, the thing for me is I'm I play around a lot, and I play with different people, and everybody wants to hear it, or I've played it with people, and not the same. No, no, yeah, that that's true. But the fact that in a way, it, I because of my participation, it has a new life, right? And it becomes relevant and current, yeah. As opposed, because I just did it for this rock and roll autograph show a few right. weeks ago. Um, and I actually have it on YouTube, and my kids playing it. And you'd be oh, it so is proud it's on, of it. It's on YouTube. Yeah, you'd How be so that? proud of it. The uh, the uh, the autograph uh, the show was that. It was underdone, but it was good because I got to play with a lot of very. I play with the drummer of Chicago. Seraphim was there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I that's with his him. name, Danny Seraphim. Yeah. Yeah. I play with him, and we. Uh, I was jamming with him, Dick Wagner, uh, Mark, great Mark Dick Farmer. Yeah, Grand yep. Funk. Funk. So a lot of times I'm asked to either play it or whatever. So I, it kind of has a. New, it becomes current. And what I realize is each person I play with or attempt to play with, like I said before, they they undervalue it because they don't play it right. Mm. And you can't fake that. No. It's not, you know, uh, taking care of business or you just play some chords. Right. There's particular things to it, especially the drums. If the drums aren't right, the song doesn't work. How did Danny do? How did Sarah Finney do with this? Uh, with it? No, we... No, no, no. He didn't play this. I, I, I played it with my kids. Gotcha. No, Dan, we were jamming on just blues stuff, gotcha. you know what I mean? Or And I also played Get Ready for Here I Come with a drummer from, uh, you know... Uh, River. River. Yeah, I played with him. Before we move off of Sharon, I have to share, you're playing the song, you say go up to, to 244, and I'm yeah. guessing he's going to the solo. Right. The solo starts, I glance over at Prescott, and he's checking his messages. Yeah. <laughs> it, was such, it. it was such he's a bass player it. thing to do. You know? I was like, oh, God. Here, he's uh, starting well, to actually, wank, man. Here actually, we go. He's gone. Actually, there's other alerts that I have to – nursing home stuff. That I have oh. To. Oh, okay. So it's not just me because I'm a champion. I'm one yeah. of the few yeah, people that – No, he did. when I talk to him on the phone, he's like, it's going to be embarrassing for me to be in the room with Burton and, and praising Compliment him. Compliment him. Compliment him oh, to I his guess face. he's gotten used to it. Yeah, well – I can understand that. I make it hard. Uh, you do. But, but, but yeah. one more thing. Sure. There's something called um, confirmed bias. You know what that means, psychological term? Mm-mm. Where if you have a bias against something, you'll use anything to confirm oh, yeah. it. Right. Oh, yeah. The fact that 
get the knack is not even in the 500 of Rolling Stone or other publications. That is ridiculous. Okay, it's a confirmed bias, and sometimes even in the culture, it's dismissed as if we're one-hit band, whatever the hell the thing is, because people assume that the the sound bites that put us down as something Mm -hmm. never even gave a damn to listen. I hear get the you know I work at a company called Taxi Music where I critique songwriters all the time, which means when I listen to stuff I've done in the past, the knack, I I recritique the songs as pretending somebody sent them in, and the songs that are great that I always love, I still love because they're really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to Get the Knack objectively, and I'm going, gee, every song is is not only really good, it's played with, it's brilliant, and for what it is, and it's different than everybody else. Yeah, and it, and it gives me a new appreciation and pride in it. So when people don't even list it in their top list, it really pisses me off. Yeah. That's confirmed bias. As well, a fan, it pisses me off too. <laughs> what balances it out for me? Because I try, I try not to get. I mean, Prescott well, was totally out. accurate from the beginning. The critics hated us. I just got used to. Well, there was reason yeah. why they hated us because Doug us. gave them ammunition. But so well, let me ask you. You know, alluding back to those times, there, there's a lot of uh, to do about how you guys didn't do interviews back in those days. Aye. What, what was the reason to not do the interviews? There was an official reason, and there was the real reason. Okay, give it. Drop them both. <laughs> the official reason was. We were hearkening back to a time before rock and roll was so overblown and and people were just big and iconic right away and everybody wanted to hear from them. We were thinking, we, we've had one album, we're a working band, you know. The real reason was Doug had put his foot in his mouth a couple times. Okay. Yeah. And, and basically... It, he was a little bit of a loose cannon in yeah. an interview and so it was better not to to lend the ammo. Yeah. But in retrospect, was it better? Because, I mean, the this, critics then would go, these guys won't even talk to us. No, right. no, no. Well, I, I really, honestly, guy, when I heard that one, that, you know, oh, they're, you know, they hated us now because we weren't allowing them to do their jobs because we were the big... Well, how much do you really learn from an interview dis- with a guy? I you disagree. Know, I, we were... We gave interviews. We were really, really good. There was a humor. Doug... Burton, myself, and Bruce to a certain degree were very intelligent. And and Bruce had his expertise. We could be funny. I mean, lyrically satirical. Um, Burton and Doug could, could uh, uh, launch into songs on Broadway songs and sing them, which they often did, because they knew music history. Yeah. And they were intelligent. They knew about the world. They knew about history. All of us did. Mm-hmm. We weren't idiots getting up there and going, oh, I fought four broads last night, man. I'm cool. We were different kind of, and I, I will compare it to the Beatles, only to the degree we were humorous. We could yeah. be satirical, we could be, you know, off the cuff and get away with it. And self-deprecating for that matter. And self-deprecating, which was, actually, we could have sold ourselves. Dick Clark wanted to do a movie with us. I don't know if you knew this. No, I did not know this. I well, didn't know that. When, when, <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> when Dick Clark passed away, I wanted to write on Facebook on, we, have, we probably have the distinction as the only people that not only did not do American Bandstand, which is incredible to believe, but probably didn't get back to Dick on a script idea mm. and turned him down, which shows you the arbitrariness and the insanity of the decision-making at the top. Well, Scott was buying more phones. He was, right, yes. But he needed more money to buy other phones. I mean, we would do interviews in Europe. Ah. We did TV in Europe. Europe. 
Mm-hmm. We turned down Fridays, right? Mm-hmm. We turned down Mark and Mindy. We turned down these shows. You didn't go to the Grammys. Well, that is the biggest thing. I oh, we were, we were in Japan. No, yeah, yeah. No, we were. We were in Japan. Yeah, but when we the know Grammys why. Happened. Because we turned down going to the Grammys to go to Japan for an ill-fated second tour. That's right. Where we there were no people there. going to the shows because they were taking exams. People were sick. It was fucking snowing in support. Students were committing suicide. <laughs> it was. I almost did. We were playing in support <laughs> Japan, the night of the Grammys. Okay. I mean, how many bands have the honor to let alone be invited to have two nominations? Yeah. If we had played Sharon Alive and kissed ass and done the things that people should do in gratitude to the business right. to get in the door, right. we could have sold another 10 million records. I mean, easily. Because mm-hmm. we would perform it live and we would have blown people no away. No question about it. Okay. So we're in Japan for a tour we shouldn't have done. Because there was no audience. We had been there already a few months earlier. And... Unfortunately, we were promoting a second album that was falling off the charts. We got there, it was charting, it was falling backwards. It was the worst thing you could ever do, and we pissed off the promoters as well, if you remember. Mm-hmm. But, so, What'd you do to piss off the promoters? Well, that's later. Well, All right. But Scott did. <laughs> but the bottom line is, we had the opportunity to present ourselves to the America. Right. That wasn't good enough. We turned down opportunities to do TV. Which, I guess, we, instead of just playing on Saturday Night Live, I guess Friday nights, whatever, apparently the rumor was we wanted to co-host. Is that true? Yes. We well, that's what I heard. From manager. Which was ridiculous. So, in other words, to not do American bandstand and have Dick Clark, who was a fan, I, I cry when they have these, like, re- and I really do. Yeah. When, when they have American bandstand all the great people and all these other shows that have people have been on. I kill, or Friday, or, or Don Kirshner's thing, yeah. right? Doug didn't like Don Kirshner, didn't like the, uh, the thing. Everybody did it, and we would have been immortalized as great band, great musicians. And we turn all that shit now, down. Now, at the, at the time, do you know this, or is it, or you're, you're young I and you don't? I knew it. Oh, I, yeah. we, we thought about it. You did. Yeah. When we knew about it, when we were not censored. Don't fight about it today, guys. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't mean me and Prescott felt it. He said that we I know. would say as a band, wait, why are we doing this? Gotcha. And it just basically, there was a party line. You yeah. Know? And... You know, and we knew it in us, our souls. It was wrong. Yeah, yeah, but speaking for only myself, I'm not. I'm not the kind of person that butts down doors. So I'm not the kind of person who says I should be the leader or I should have. Mm-hmm. You know. And so when I was told this is the way it's going to be, I figured, okay, I'll be a team player. Right. And you know, things have gone well, mm-hmm. and let's continue to do that. Now, yeah. getting back to the the public perception or the the. God knows the journalistic perception. The thing that has always balanced that out for me over the years Mm -hmm. is every once in a while, the name of the song will come up in in the mouths of people that I revere. You know, not too long ago, somebody sent me an email and said, "Check this out." Um, There was somebody that was on a British uh, radio show, and it was a desert island. Like, what song? What records will you take it? And one of the songs he mentioned, he made a point of mentioning, was uh, My Sharona, Ray Davis. Yeah. I love Ray Davis. Yes, you do. And, um, that is a compliment. And that so when a- you hear that, you go, okay, right. that just wipes out all Everything. of those, yeah. those, the, the B-minus, you know, state college journalism right. dropouts mm-hmm. that wrote, you know. But they liked us. Uh, a lot of the college people liked us. Yeah. It was, it, we snubbed sure. when we played New York. <laughs> And uh, we, we did a brilliant show at Carnegie Hall, right? 
So what, what do we do at the end of the show before doing a hard day's night? Remember Doug's speech? Uh, he quoted Dylan, the times they are a-changing. Oh. And there was a line <laughs> about critics and something. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now, with all, the, with all the Beatles comparison, why would you choose to do Hard Day's Night? At, that's per, why. And just I, fun. Well, just well, for fun. For two reasons. Throwing it in your face. For, yeah. two, for two reasons. That's one reason. Uh-huh. Because it's kind of funny yeah. that a, a, a band which is being pilloried for something we didn't do. Exactly. We end the show at Carnegie Hall oh, with, with a hard, hard day's, day's night. night. Yeah. And, and the second you. is we were we were a, a a loving cover band. We loved doing right. yeah. faithful covers, and we do covers in our of set. our heroes. Uh, you know, uh, Hard Day's Night is one. We did a great version of Come On Everybody, was which was a incredible. Uh, uh, Eddie, Cochran? Eddie Cochran song. Uh it was great. Yeah, we did uh, earlier. We would do Andrew Bird can sing at nice. the Troubadour. You know, we did that. We also did Jay and the Americans. Come a little bit closer. It was Come one of a little. Oh, that, actually, you guys did that when I saw you. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah was that was one of great, our most beloved. We did not. Yeah. We did not fade away. Sometimes. Oh, not fade away. We did awesome. not fade away. Slash Mona, which is the song we played when Springsteen jammed with us at the yeah. Troubadour. You know what? You guys are. You talked about Ray Davies. You're talking about covers, <clears throat> Matt. Let's hear ah. a little bit of the hard way. Good segue. You're gonna find out the hard way You're gonna find out the hard way No matter what I do or say You must have gone to educate One day life's gonna turn around slap in the face You're gonna find out the hard way You can take the hard way Well, you so um, we just listened to The Hard Way. That's uh, your cover of the King song written by Ray Davies. Uh, amazing cover. I love the song. It's great. I love what you guys did to it. I love it just as much and as Doug the original. And Doug delivered it beautifully on stage. It's amazing. So, mm-hmm. so now you, uh, Prescott, you have a story about My Baby Talks Dirty. It wasn't my baby, but I'll tell it anyway. First of all, when That's we started to do true. it. It's Baby Talks Dirty. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the riff. And, and again, yeah. uh, and parts of it. I knew it would be compared to Sharona, which was wrong. Because it was riff-based, the song, the structure, nothing to do with it, okay? Uh, when I heard the lyric, you know, my baby said, hurt me, hurt me. And then the panting, oh, oh, you know, I mean, that's what I do when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> I pant like that. However, I don't know if Stephen, now, here's my thing. If Steven Tyler wanted to sing that, right. if some of the other people that were sexually oriented in their persona on stage, it would work. Doug talking about, my baby said, hurt me, hurt me. I knew now that before that people were saying the band was misogynist. Remember, mm-hmm. yeah, that the lyrics and and we were putting down women, whatever, whatever the hell it was. So I, I was against the lyric because a, it wasn't a particularly good lyric. It was about hurting, licky, sticky, you know, all these dumb mm-hmm. fucking rhymes. <laughs> um, I didn't think it was appropriate. I know we were supposed to be the Beatles and the Stones, correct? I mean, the good boys, bad boys, right. kind of thing. I just didn't think it was it was appropriate because Doug's not Steven Tyler or people that could get away or Rod Stewart where people can get away with it. I knew mm-hmm. people would object. I had this argument with Scott on the tour bus. Mm-hmm. I said, it's not going to work. I'm, people are not going to like this. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, blah, blah, blah. You know, when it came out, it was barred in England. Really? They wouldn't play it because of the lyric. 
Wow. Really? And we're talking yep. 1980. And I researched yeah. it. It was true. Stations would not play it because of the lyric. Yeah. So was I right? Yes. Did it matter? No. Mm-hmm. So that's my point. And I didn't think the song, I knew it would be compared to Sharona. Unfairly so. But that was a single. What, do you think there was a better yeah. single off that album then? No. I think this better single was yet to be written. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And they Going were on back round to, trip. Yeah. I liked I Want You. That was a very good to. song. That's a great song. But but again, it wasn't even released. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where things were headed at the time where I think success became a, a pass to do what you want to do. Do what thou want. I, even though the other band members... May object right. to it. Right. I want to. Uh, I want to move us into. Uh, yes. Into ten years after round trip. But before I do, uh, I want when we were when you guys were starting out. You're in the club scene on the Sunset Strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, ten years after, one of the few bands we didn't cover. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You guys are on the Sunset Strip. You're playing the Troubadour. Just uh, give us a little taste of who's in the audience. Well. Because everyone was coming out to see the Knack musicians, girls, I, baby. Yeah, we we it was great. But you attracted uh, some. There were a lot both. of teenage girls that would come see our show, right. and that really helped the word of mouth of bringing more crowds. <laughs> right, right, right. Basically, and it it really was. It was great. It was organic. It mm-hmm. wasn't fake. For once, it really was. It was this groundswell where mm-hmm. the next week we'd play. There'd be a bigger crowd. Yeah. And next week, it, was, it would grow exponentially. Okay. And when you asked who was in the crowd, I thought you were referring to some of the people that played with us. And yeah, I don't know yeah, who yeah. was in the crowd, but basically... But I'm like, like Springsteen and Tom Petty and these yeah. guys would come see you. Yeah. 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 And, and at the Starwood, didn't he, with yeah. any money? Yeah, Eddie Money played with us. I remember Eddie Money played with us. We did two tickets to yeah. Paradise, and I did this riff that the guitarist does at the end of the solo. Yeah. And Money kind of looked at me like... Hey, you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what we do. You know? Yeah, man. We know what we're doing. It was yeah, good. The first one we did was Ray Manzarek, the keyboard player from The Doors, yeah. the, the late, great Ray, Ray yeah. Manzarek. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this surreal moment because we did two songs with him. We did Love Me Two Times. and uh, We did uh, three. Whiskey we did bar. three. We did Love Me Two Times, Soul Kitchen, and, and Whiskey Bar, yeah. with Alabama song, which is a Kurt Vile song. Right. Uh, and this will happen. It had been so long since he played it. He wasn't. He was kind of fuzzy on the chord structure, and I was actually showing the yeah. chords oh, of fun. Whiskey Bar to Ray Manzarek and thinking, "This is wrong. Yes, <laughs> this yes, is amazing. weird." Um, so what was I say? Oh, okay. So Round Trip is 1981, and then you yes. guys do do a tour for this, and then what happens? The band just kind of we broke up. You just broke up. Yeah, it had, uh, we had broken up before Round Trip. Okay, and if it was not for John Lennon's unfortunate tragic death, we were not. See, we were having a party. We were going to have a party, celebrating the fact that Doug went his way. We were going to reform a new band. Right. Remember? Mm-hmm. So I thought we we were going to call that party Dugout. I thought we were going <laughs> to call the album Dugout. Then we got revelations that our manager alienated everybody on this planet. Mm-hmm. So then the party ended up, because of Lennon's death, ended up being a scot-free party. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Meaning, we, were, we got, remember at your house, yes, party, yes. we're all going to get back together, you know, we grieved together, and that's when we decided we're going to do a third album, and we talked about producers, and Jack Douglas's name came up, and it was really a good time for all of us, I thought emotionally we're connected. Of course, 
you know, with, within that scope, it changed after where we did Bruce quit actually yeah. afterwards. Mm-hmm. But that was a really good time emotionally, I thought, right? Were we more connected maybe for a minute? Yeah, we were. I think uh, what happened is that we were in such shell shock with the response after the second album mm-hmm. and the fact that we had, you know, our name had become a joke. I mean, yeah. basically people had piled on and it, it was stunning and we didn't really know what to do about it. And yeah. this was a chance to mm-hmm. try to do it right. And and by round trip, it was too late. It really was. I mean, we didn't get much of a chance. Right. You know, I remember we had this, this luncheon with the heads of capital at, you know, an Italian restaurant in Melrose, and we're sitting at this big, long table. And the, the suggested meaning of the luncheon was, this is to show you guys we're still behind you. Yeah. And we walked out of that room saying... We're fucked. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> they are not. But they wanted us to tour South America, I remember, which would have been a good idea, actually. They would have said Antarctica if they could have gotten <laughs> to get rid of you. Well, well, a lot to do with, again, we alienated Capital on the second yes, we album. Did. Yeah. Because the, the cover, really quickly, 20 seconds, it's not, it, this is, I'm trying to balance positive and negative, but that cover, that picture of Sharona. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That picture really? Of, picture of, maybe I've been waiting a long time to get something. Yeah, yeah, here we go. That go ahead. picture, the album cover, that photo was taken in the, in the Starwood when Sharona was looking at the stage. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doug thought that picture was iconic, meaning that typified the young girl looking at her idol. Okay. That microphone stand and stage was superimposed. They had to take a shot of that microphone and glitter it and superimpose oh, it wow, with that Sharona. Oh, wow. It cost a lot of money at that time. Mm-hmm. Art department was pissed off, right? Even though we recorded the album for nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, it's schlock. It's so, like it does. Nobody got it. We should have been on the album cover, yeah. and that's why the insert would have been a great album right. cover. But that's the album cover. Sharona was already on the single. Doug <laughs> liked to have his girlfriends on sleeves, like Baby Talks Dirty had his other girlfriend on Abby. It. Abby. <laughs> so. I thought that was a little too personal, yeah. and the band should have been on, and there should have been another picture rather than get the knack picture. Is uh, is the girl on the cover of uh, Serious Fun? Is that Doug's girlfriend? No. <laughs> so we all wanted her. Don't go there. Don't go there. So Serious Fun comes out. It's ten years after Round Trip, mm. nineteen ninety one. Um, I don't know what you guys do. What do you guys do for that 10 years? We had broken up as a band. Right. We put our own band together. Prescott uh, Prescott and I and Bruce had put our own band together. It didn't work out. Uh, Yeah, we tried something else. We had an actor singer. Uh, Yeah. Stephen Bauer. That that didn't work out. Oh, from Scarface. Yeah. He was singing. And did you guys do something with Michael DeBar, too? Is that true? We Prescott, I'm sure, worked with Michael's old friend. No, we did a session for him. Oh, yeah, sure. That's right. Holly Knight. We did a session. And uh, Stephen Bauer looked great, and if we did a video, we would have sold a million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but our manager like was arrested for cocaine yeah. trafficking. That's so. true, and, and prostitution. So we couldn't well, get there. That's part of the positive. Part. Yes. It is. <laughs> so, seri- uh, so, uh, so, series fun. How does that get together? Well, we got back together in about eighty six, eighty seven. Uh, there was a day in about eighty four, eighty five, mm-hmm. where Doug called me up, and we hadn't spoken for a while. Right. And he said, "Bertie, I want to come by." Sure. And he came by, and uh, Doug was uh, did great work in the program, and he he got clean and sober, and he, he was, was clean great. and sober the rest of his life. Excellent. And uh, so he was. It was his amends day. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and so it's 
for me, it cleared away a lot of emotional, personal shit. And so there was no reason not to start working together again. Right. And so we were working together. We were considering doing different kind of projects. Mm-hmm. And finally, we just bowed to the obvious and inevitable. The knack. Just do the knack again, you yeah. know. And there was serious um, friction between Doug and Bruce. There always was. Okay. And that never quite went away. And when we got back together as the four of us, it just wasn't going to work. Prescott and I would defend Bruce and inevitably finally say, no, you're right. He's, he's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. And so we had for a while Pat Torpy, who ended up being our drummer in our live days in the last four or five years we gave yeah, as a band. Right. From Mr. Big. And, yeah, and then Big. He, he left went, us to play with Mr. Big. He, well, actually, he left us to play uh, Robert Plant's tour. If you and, remember and, that. And well, that Big sounds like a mistake. Why yeah, would you right. do that? Yeah, really. Well, we, Talk about punching down. We yeah. had some songs. We had some songs. We did it. We were trying to get a deal with Manhattan Records. We had a different manager at the time. He had a serious acne problem. However, that wasn't the... But he ended up... <laughs> Another positive. He, he ended up managing Fiona Apple, who's brilliant. I did not yeah. know that. Not that she's brilliant, but that he managed her. Yeah, I didn't know he had an acne problem. <laughs> anyway, we, we couldn't, we had, the material wasn't strong enough, long story, but Don was, uh, Doug was friends with Don was, and Don wanted to get on board. Burden and Doug wrote some great songs, uh, more experimental. You know, Burden did a, a couple of different things. I, I felt uh, uh, musically, right? Yeah. We did that a cappella thing. Mm-hmm. We did, and, and the guitar, and the playing, Billy Ward was not pretty scary, but he was pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, he plays great on that album. Uh, uh, Rocket of Love, again, was a damn good single. Good song. They didn't cross it over to A and M, which they should have. Anna. No, A A A M Radio. Sorry. Yes. They should have. That was a great single, and it did chart FM wise. Uh, we went with Chrysalis. I mean, uh, Charisma. Charisma. Part of Chrysalis. They didn't understand it. We didn't get a video until it was too late. I right. think they were part of Virgin. They weren't. Well, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. What well, now means. they're no more. Yeah. But, but we, we almost had it. They didn't promote it right. We didn't have a video. And unfortunately, that was a great song. And yeah. there's a better song. Even We didn't get to the uh, One Day at a Time ballad. And unfortunately, that album ended up being what it became. But it was really, really good. The let's hear uh, Musicianship. Let's hear, let's hear Rock I, I love Serious Fun, too. It's yeah, a great, that's a great album. It's yeah. a great that's album. That's a great solo. And, and it's great. Great lyric, too. So here's Rocket of Love. And this is heavy. It is. Let's hear another song off that. Uh, let's. Uh, this is a uh, Prescott you co-wrote on this one too. Let's drop us forty-five seconds into Body Talk. That's heaven, man. Yeah. <laughs> heaven. Your will. When will it start? Take me. 
So I remember in 1991, I was living in Chicago, and um, I remember I'm listening to FM radio, and I hear the guy says, coming up, we're going to play the new single by The Knack. And I was waiting, that can't be right. That guy's making a mistake. And I was so excited when Serious Fun came out. I was like, The Knack is I did not know. Of course, yeah. you were the how, guy. Yeah. yeah. How often? How often is that phrase used? The knack is back. Uh, oh, we used it a couple, couple times. We actually had the knack is black too. That was going to be our next <laughs> album. Put on all Afro wigs and do the whole thing. I thought it would have worked. Let me say something. Sure. Again, Burton, look at how many guitar solos are on that record. He arranged most of the harmonies, and they were you know right all the arrangements. There was mm-hmm. a lot of three part sacked harmonies, uh, and the, there's a lot of guitar solos. More than ever, right? Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, they were de- yeah. definitely. Was yeah. that a so? That's a conscious, Shine, e- conscious effort on. to sound. It's, it's where we were at that time. Yeah, really. It's uh, yeah. yeah. It's uh, Doug. Let go of the reins. Mm. I actually hadn't heard that stuff in a long time. Sounds good. But every song you're soloing on, pretty much. I want. Uh, I mean, uh, I want love. Is that's a good is solo. A great like song. That. Yeah. that's a great solo. You solo it on um, that little solo in Serious Fun. You solo yeah, it on like the one. next one. Um, <laughs> I like my work. Uh, <laughs> what about? Um, I'm a big um, fan. Let's this get is a lo- good guy to have in the room with you. I, when you want compliments. Song. I like that. Song. Let's get lost <laughs> is another really good song. The solo. Um, what is the third? Time? The the long drawn out one where he does that rap on it. Da 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 da. Well, we were just hearing Body Talk. I think that was Body Talk. No, no, no. It's the other. It's the one that sounds like no. Not I Want Love. Is it the dog one? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's not doing the dog. Doing the dog actually ended up um, the only other song by the Knack to get into a movie uh, Uh, was in the next Karate Kid, starring. Hillary Swank. Hillary, yeah. right. And by the way, uh, doing the dog, Doug wrote that about my girlfriend at the time. Oh, that's oh. what Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but if you really oh. listen, that, that song, too, you know what it is. I don't know why you're forgetting it, but that solo was great. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm River of Sides. River of Sides. I haven't heard that album in so long. Soloing Revisit it, Burton. But I do it because I, rec- I critique it in my mind to see what songs I think, only because it's, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. But the, every song has a guitar solo in it, yeah. and they're really good. So that That's album, why again, I liked it so much. <laughs> so I did, but it's true. And the vocal harmonies were very three-part harmonies. Well, again, it's what we were doing at the time, right? And, and um, but that was what a, it was. A really, really big band at the time was Def Leppard, and I thought they were great. Yeah, I just, That's I mean, right. and it, I mean, however much of it was Mutt Lang, but those right. those productions, and and also. There's this thing that Mutt Lang would do in their songs, or they would do, uh, that there were there were these hook sections mm-hmm. where you start with the hook riff, yeah, and then you start with the four bars of the straight ahead rocker. This is a song you can all jump in, and then what was always my favorite part of the song would be the B section, the pre-chorus, where he would. Start laying in those chorus. Give me, give me your loving. And he's got the jangle guitar under it. And then the chorus would be the primal, are you digging it? (laughs) And I thought at the time, I thought, man, that's great. That's really great pop songwriting and guitar oriented. And so we we started doing that. Doug was listening a lot to Zeppelin at the time. So we would do things that were more kind of like power trio driven. Yeah, when you when you when you mention Def Leppard now, and I think of uh, Serious Fun, I can I can totally see uh, a little bit of an influence there going on. Now, but how do we get? How long do we have? 
we, we have don't about have a lot of time. Maybe we, we should do a two parter. How the hell are we going to get the next twenty years? <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it. But we're going to uh, we're going to jump to uh, right now. We're going to go to nineteen ninety eight. Let me tell you something. For me, this is my favorite knack. This is the ah. one I love. Why are we Zoom? Because I like to whisper when I tell. He doesn't want to get like arrows thrown at. Him. Right. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the best way to emphasize is to whisper. Yes. Uh, how do you do? You guys like Zoom? Because I love. I like it very much. I love Terry Bozio's I drums. I don't like this snare drum. <laughs> you, uh, no, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's the snare, snare drum had this weird ping to it that was uh, yeah. No, what is it? Is it tight? Is it loose? Yeah. What makes no, that sound? It was bullshit. It was, <laughs> it was bullshit. <laughs> it was he neither had, of those. Pat. He had he had we, when we first started recording with Terry, he used a small kit. We had to get an extra mixing board in because he had twenty four fucking tracks for. Drums. Oh yeah, we we saw you perform at the Galaxy Theater, and we walked in, uh, and I said, well, "Is I, the Nat playing or is Yes playing yeah, tonight? Or, What's or, going on?" Return to forever. By the way, please anybody out there. I will pay money. There is not one video or live performance I have heard of any of our shows with Terry. Really? Yep. And I'm telling you, right? Like I've never that. heard it. The highlight of the show was myself and Burton when we look at each other when Terry would do his solo because oh. we're trying to keep time, right? Oh, God. There was a great song called Good Enough, which Burton wrote, obviously. And we're keeping time. We're going, what the fuck? Well, that was actually, uh, he would take a solo in the the encore, which is Mona and I Fade Away. No, but he did it good enough, too, didn't he? No? Yeah, but what you're thinking of is uh, it's it's the kind of solo where the band does the vamp, and then you solo, and the solo gets more and more elaborate, then you come back to the vamp. Mm -hmm. Well, Terry had this, like, time signature shit going on that was like, so we go, and me and Prescott are just trying to lock our feet together. (laughs) One, two, three. He was playing time in time. Because he was just playing this circular shit. I don't think I'm I'm lying when I say, I'm pretty sure he had a gong on stage. Oh, yeah, he He had a gong. He had a gong, tom-toms, chimes. Kick drums. But but the thing is, that shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't have done, but... It's funny because that album, the sounds we got and the drum sound especially, some parts were good, but it, that was the time to take authority by Doug to say, you know, Terry, it doesn't sound right. Use the other snare. Yeah. And it didn't happen. We Walk me through why Terry Bozio. Explain Whoa. that. He seems like... How did that come up? Well, very simple. After we did the Viper Room show, mm-hmm. uh, we recorded, we got a new manager, Danny Sugarman. May, may I rest, bless the man, you know what I mean? And uh, he said, you got to write, because Doug had some songs for a solo album he was going to do, and they were. And Doug said they're going to be an act album, and they weren't good enough. So Danny said, no, you got to write new songs. So a lot of the songs came from their collaboration. I contributed, uh, and, and it became something really good. Bruce was, was negotiating for something he felt he needed and wanted from the Knack, uh-huh. and he wasn't getting what he wanted, and he just said, try to screw up our deal with Rhino at the time a little bit and said, fuck it, I don't want to do it. So we went through the drummer list. Doug, I don't know how he did it, but we got Terry and Doug met with him and they, they really hit it off. Okay. And Terry really actually said he wanted to join the band, which I can't believe. He changed his mind soon after. <laughs> like he wanted right. to be a full member. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And that changed. Now, as soon of course, as we, we wanted road. him to be as well. Yeah. Uh, I think the reasoning was... He's a great drummer. We're not saying he's oh. not. He's a fantastic yeah, drummer. Yeah, we paid him a Just lot of his, money. Uh, he's a I, I, god. Yeah, he's a, amazing. But to me, a little overkill for the neck. It, 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 I mean, it, well, well, he played simple on, on a lot of those I tracks, think, right? I think, not live! I think... <laughs> I wasn't there. The reasoning probably was, and this is 15 years ago now, if you can believe it. I believe it. Um, that... Bruce sets the bar really high for a drummer of the Absolutely. neck. And if you heard somebody who was a timekeeper 
af- f- with the neck, it would just fall so far flat. Yeah, okay. yeah. And and frankly, there just aren't that many drummers with those kind of chops who can right. also just play like a rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's when when Terry said he he wanted to do it. Yeah, it was like, oh my God, we actually we have, have somebody have, yeah. with chops coming out of his ears. Gotcha. Yeah. You know who was also in a rock band himself. And some so, people said he wasn't a good rock drummer, which we I heard before we even started. However, yeah, people say things. Doesn't, yeah. Ironically, <laughs> people ironically say I'm playing with Missing Persons now, right. without Terry. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing with him for two years. I didn't know that. Terry Come on, Burton, with him. go see uh, your buddy. I Burton. don't know anything. <laughs> Burton Prescott, Prescott, Burton. Yeah, haven't yeah, you, you guys figured that out by now? Yeah. But, 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 you know, he's always invited and he could do anything he wants. But anyway... Uh, you know, listening, re-listening to Terry's, he's a fucking great drummer. The sound he got on that album, Ken Scott produced it. Uh-huh. Fucking great drums. That should have been our drum sound. But we made a deal with Terry. Uh, it started out to be a real high for me because I figured he'd bring musical credibility to the band. Why the hell is Terry Bozo playing with the Knack? Right. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this started out, unfortunately, Rhino Records did not know how to promote a new album because right. they they didn't handle they didn't handle like new releases it they was all handle, catalog releases was, they didn't handle people that were actually living living and yeah. recording well, new music well we had a new manager at the time and he was saying you know don't go out and tour and I agreed with him because it wasn't the right time because he didn't feel we'd be ready or they'd be ready yeah. we started touring it's more than positive by the way right and yeah well <laughs> but they didn't even have the albums in Tower Records we're playing yeah. in the city in Denver remember we yeah. got there and yeah like, that's right nobody has the album yeah. how do you promote a new album when there's nobody has and the album and that disillusioned Terry really quickly well it started oh. to disillusion him Plus, he started to get a little sick because he came off a bus tour before he went with us. Mm-hmm. Because he he was in... Can you imagine schlepping Terry Bozio in an Econo van in the back across the country? <laughs> with his drums. He's beginning to get five grand a week, so you figure. But he started to fly after that. But but the, the, the bad turnout, he got to know Doug on another level. And pretty soon it was like, okay... So the Thanks, last, gig, yeah. last gig we played with Terry was in New Jersey. New Jersey. Uh, Benoit, whatever the hell the name of the club was. Benoit's Falls. <laughs> like, Benoit's Falls. Yeah, that's where it was. But, right? but, no, no, it was, it was this club. So it was raining. It was a miserable night. Nobody was there. And I know Terry, before we play, go, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> we were, <laughs> right we were, before you go on. Yeah, we were friendly with him. We still had shows to do. And I knew probably the shows wouldn't have been, even though we had New York, Philadelphia. Yeah. Terry was not well. He really had... Doug had gotten sick a week earlier, was mm-hmm. on steroids because he was sick. Actually, that'll lose one more second. The weirdest moment in my life was when we played Detroit and Doug's brother introduced us and brought Jack Kevorkian into the dressing yeah. room. Oh, fantastic. And I looked at Bird and go, this is over. This is the kiss of death, <laughs> man. And that, yeah, the, got, the Grim Reaper literally yeah. just walked in. In our dressing room! Yeah. There's, uh, a, uh, there's a music notation software program called Finale. Okay. And... Uh, I was chatting with Jack Kevorkian backstage, <laughs> and he was. He said, "I'm learning to play the flute." And he mentioned the software. I said, "Oh, I use that all the time because I write musical theater now." Uh-huh. And I, I find myself basically giving tech support knowledge <laughs> to Jack Kevorkian, <laughs> and he's he's slowly tying your arm off. He's yeah. like, "Just relax, no, like, yeah, well, Jack. What are you doing now?" He was a genial crazy. old man. Yes. Anyway, after that gig, so we played a New Jersey show. After the show goes, I'm going home. And and I'm going to Burton. I go, Burton. I said, can you please buy me a ticket? I gotta go. I mean, I had a wife and yeah. I had kids, yeah. and, and I had to get back anyway. Right. She was pregnant with my my son Gabriel, who's actually a drummer now. And, and Burton was nice enough to allow me to get me a ticket to get the hell out of there. <laughs> now, the irony yeah, we got is, the hell out of Dodge Doug was furious at us because we left. Terry was leaving. Well. 
there weren't any acoustic there, show. That's there, great. No, there weren't going to be any more gigs. The, right. the rest of it was canceled, and the van with the no, this is the best had thing. To drive back across. They it, illegally kicked the van, and he thought we were like being cop-outs for not sticking with the van to drive across with Doug, who's fuming at Terry for just right. having quit the van, <laughs> and so we're thinking. Yeah. No, but we're leaving, and I was like, fucking glory days are coming until I got home. But then the worst thing is Doug's riding with the road manager we found out was ripping us off on his credit card. This oh. sounds like a right? mess. When he got back. So that was like a bad yeah. tour. Anyway, somehow we survived it. Well, in, in Terry's defense, though, the, the main reason he quit is because, again, uh, Rhino didn't really know how to promote us, yeah. right? And there was no point to what we were doing. We were playing clubs, and we weren't selling any albums, yeah. and we weren't getting our name out there because right. in those days you didn't get, like, a big review for a club. Right. And so he was saying, I'm, you know, I'm busting he my ass. He was getting sick. For, he really yeah. was. I'm getting and sick, he and we're not— it, he, he said it. He said, if this was doing business for us, it would be different. Right. But he was right to do that because he was getting ten grand a, a clinic. And he also had a wife and a kid. Yeah. And I don't I didn't begrudge him for it at right. all. No. So, but he was begrudged. Let's hear some of that tight snare. Yeah. Let me hear Pop is Dead. Pop is. Oh, it's right there, right up front immediately. Guys, this has been a pleasure to sit down with you two guys and hear the 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 angel and the devil speak about the knack. And that was, was just, just the one guy, right? That was just the one guy. <laughs> and then Birdie. I call you Birdie. Yeah. Birdie Chad. All right. Um, before we go, I want to let the listeners know that I have four copies of The Knack, Heaven a Rave Up. I'm going to uh, ask Burton and Prescott if they'll sign these, and we'll give you a way to the but listeners. We didn't talk about what we're doing today. No, but well, I'm going to let you do that. Uh, I want to thank Jimmy for, for helping out today. Thank I, 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 uh, an honor to have been asked to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Burton Aver, Prescott Niles, I do want you guys to... I have one question. Um, it's been uh, 12 years since the last Knack album came out. Did you guys record anything with Doug after 2001's Normal is the Next Guy that we'll ever hear? No. You didn't. So there's not. So as a fan like me that thinks maybe there's some archive stuff, there's nope. really not. Um, Can I say as a fan, Normal yes. is the Next Guy, uh, another amazing album. Another amazing underrated wow, a great, album. A, a lot great of fun. Record. You're the one. Yeah. Well, we're trying to release uh, a DVD of uh, Carnegie Hall. Which should be out it there. It should be out it, there. It capital blocked. It would, it, we're trying to re- yeah. own it to get it out there. And God knows. Yeah, get some it, audio and video on that. I would definitely recommend that. That was a really good show. Yeah, only on Laserdisc only, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they, 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 they um, the other thing is yes. um, the reissues from 2002 are out of print. So how do we get Knack Music? 
Oh. iTunes. Doug's sister, uh, who's doing a beautiful job, Beth. Beth, yes. Uh, has helped us and helped the, the brand yeah. to get the – it's on iTunes, isn't it? Yeah. Is and, it out there? And uh, yeah. on Omnivore Records, uh, we've got those those albums that are uh, these great archive recordings right, of us yeah. playing live at the Troubadour. Yeah. You literally hear our very first gig right. at the Whiskey. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a special insight. Yeah. If, if people are really interested in our band or fans of band, I would strongly recommend. Yes, that. and uh, thanks to uh, Brad Rosenberger from Omnivore Records that sent me uh, yep. four copies of the Knack Heaven. She Rave, got more than Rave me. <laughs> um, Prescott, real yeah. quick, tell us what you're doing right now. Well, besides being here, I, uh, I I'm playing with Missing Persons. I'm playing with some old guys called Classic Rock All Stars. Playing with Mickey Free, and we're going to do an album with Carmen Apiece. And the drum, the, the other guys, the singer used to be in the Plasmatics. Excellent. Forget oh. his name. You played John, bass in the John Plasmatics. Bouvier? Yeah, but John's a singer, and he plays guitar, and he's worked with Mickey Free. Mickey, uh, he's done some record, whatever. He's a blues guitarist, but he plays a lot of Jimmy stuff. And uh, we jammed recently, and it sounds good, so we may do an album. I work at Taxi Music, which is a company where songwriters from all over the country send in their songs for listings like film and TV listings, record companies, producers looking for songs. It's also a way for kids, to people to learn how to get their songs better. Yeah. You, who's going to tell you? Girlfriend's going to tell you to write a better chorus? <laughs> so this is, a, it's been around for a while, Taxi Music. Cool. Also, my kids, my offspring, um, they have a band called Gateway Drugs. They're playing around L.A. My son's uh, drumming, singing. My daughter sings, plays. My other son, Noah, plays, sings. Uh, and they're the only people we just did Sharona together wish I could have played it for you if you leave it I'll play it on the next show well I'll have to get on YouTube for you okay you get it anyway all I'm saying is I try to stay current and um, and get out there and if I could do anything to put a good face on the next legacy I do my very best Excellent. with your positivity. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Burton. Uh, Burton, I know that you are you're out there uh, promoting uh, pastel colors <laughs> in your uh, wardrobe. And what else are you doing? Well, my design sense is definitely <laughs> my 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 identity. No, uh, writing music. First That's of all, I, I definitely do not try to stay current. <laughs> so, um, I write musical theater. I write musical comedy. I'm, uh, it's, it's a very oddball choice for somebody who came from you know, the band and that kind of thing, but uh, I love it. I'm the composer. My partner, Rob Muir, is the lyricist. Our other partner, Mark Salzman, is the playwright, which is called Book Writer. And, Excellent. And uh, we love the forum. We love the history of it. It's never done well anymore, and so that gives us a bar to shoot at. Yes. And uh, it's tons of work and tons of fun. Okay, Greg. But, no. I, but I hate Burton because he's such a good <laughs> freaking musician that he won't play, and it really bums me out because he's one of the you know lesser known, more talented guitarists. Invite him out, and he doesn't want to play. And it really maybe we can get a movement going. No, he's Bring right. Burton I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm really hey, lazy. We're gonna close out with a song from Zoom that the two of you wrote together. Harder on you. Harder, yeah. harder Thank on you. Thank you so much <laughs> for all the great music over yes, the years, thank guys. Burton Avere, Prescott Niles, a round of applause for the knack. Check out Harder on You. You know it's gonna be hard on me feeling the way that. you
tricks on my 